Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Good morning, and happy Mother's Day. Okay. Listen carefully to these words from Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34, to hear what God is saying through them. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressing against you? Yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these words. Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving um, in ministry as the pastor here at Urban Village Church Hyde Park Woodlawn um, and in leadership with um, so many others in this congregation who have helped us, who continuously help us be who we are today. Um, on this Mother's Day, I am reminded of uh, the unique role that children play in your life, uh, and I was particularly reminded as Vania rushed over to her seat at the beginning of worship, and uh, Nissa told her in the way that only children can, Mom, you can't run in heels. Um, those uh, bold truths that can only be spoken by the ones that you can't help but love anyway. So um, in that spirit, let's uh, come to a word that maybe uh, we can't help but love anyway. God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to come together uh, to uh, dive deep into who you are and how you are, not just in this world, but within each one of us. And so we ask that you would um, speak uh, through me, in spite of me, um, and help us all to leave this space uh, with a fuller cup and a deeper understanding of your creative, imaginative, daring work in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About a month ago, uh, I read a blog post by an old college friend of mine who actually lives in Chicago, but we don't see each other that frequently. Um, she was married three years ago, and she's been battling melanoma for longer than that, um, and so it's been a run for her. And among the many discomforts of such an aggressive form of cancer um, that has been widespread in her body um, that she's blogged about, there was one that I, and, and maybe you too, uh, hadn't really ever thought about um, in regards to cancer. Sex. 
She says, by the time I got my pain under control and started some oral chemo treatment, I was prescribed a mood stabilizer to help with the emotional ups and downs that come with being sick. It didn't occur to me that one of the moods it would control would be my libido. Without even realizing it, sex simply stopped crossing my mind. I wasn't actively against it, I just stopped thinking about it. That was until my boyfriend started testing the waters with a few this-could-lead-to-boning moves. And it was then that I would realize that I hadn't had sex in a while. I knew that I should want to have sex, but I just felt so indifferent to it, and this baffled me. Libido issues, of course, were just the tip of the iceberg when it came to cancer and sex. She went on to talk about feeling unattractive, feeling pain in her body from the various tumors, uh, premature menopause, um, and oh so much more. So what happens when our bodies fail us? Well, this is our question today. It's also the question that the woman at the center of our scripture has been asking for about 12 years. Let's call her Margaret. I don't want to keep calling her the bleeding woman. For 12 years, Margaret has faced the personal, hygienic, and logistical inconveniences of a constant menstrual flow, no doubt accompanied by debilitating stars-in-your-eyes cramps with maybe a migraine thrown in. In addition to her personal humiliations, Margaret has also suffered public humiliations. By Hebrew law, Margaret was considered unclean so long as, and any woman was considered unclean so long as she was bleeding. And so she was cut off from access to the spiritual solace of worship um, by not being able to enter a synagogue. And then this, of course, spiraled out into her personal relationships. No one can have contact with her, otherwise they become unclean. And of course, the economic stress. If she was married, her husband was long gone, and along with that, any ongoing financial support that he might have offered. And she is, so she has poured her last dime down the drain of expertise to address the issue, to make herself acceptable and presentable, and it has all failed. Margaret has become a permanent object of fear and disgust. She has had nothing to lose, left to lose for quite a long time, actually. And so when Jesus comes by, she kind of throws her very last egg in the basket. It might not seem like much, right, shoving your way through a crowd. But remember, touching all those people meant that they became unclean, too. She was, wasn't just risking being impolite. She was actually risking the backlash of having, having jeopardized everyone else's acceptability. But at this point, she was zero F's Margaret. Well, maybe she had one F, but then she gave up that last F when she decided she was going to crowd surf to Jesus. And so when Margaret gets to him, Jesus uh, didn't see her, but he kind of feels his mojo drop a level, right? And um, he realizes that something powerful had happened. I won't go on to repeat the entire story, but there is something that needs to be pointed out. While the, whole woman, while the woman um, received healing just by touching his cloak, Jesus, know, uh, Jesus is about the business of wholeness of life for all. And so to Jesus, he knows that physical healing is not enough. Something more has to happen. Because, of course, while Margaret's body matters, there is something within her that also needs to be undone, a result of maybe compounded anxiety and desperate loneliness of isolation and rejection and self-hatred and a pain that won't go away with just the physical healing. So Jesus looks for her. Who touched my cloak? Who touched my clothes? And instead of hiding out, this healed and liberated, and I would say brave woman, steps forward to pay whatever price her money couldn't afford. But instead of a reprimand, Jesus finishes the job. He says, peace, 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 peace. Peace, peace, 
peace, peace, peace, peace. Twelve blessings of peace. One for each year of pain. One for each year of isolation and hopelessness and waiting to hear back from the doctors about useless tests that showed nothing. Peace for every prayer spoken that came back unanswered. Peace for the relationships that have been strained to breaking broken friendships and family ships. Peace for shaking hands and sitting at a table to eat with other people. Peace for every new day as your feet leave the bed and hit the floor. Peace. She is healed and restored to deep. Because wholeness of life for all is, first and foremost, anchored in a restoration that is shaped by peace. But now, in order to fully appreciate what's going on here, we need to kind of zoom out a level. Because you see, this, this story is actually kind of like a turducken, um, which, if you're not familiar with turducken, I salute you. Um, but, well, that's about to change. A turducken is, very sadly, a chicken stuffed in a duck, stuffed in a turkey. Um, to be clear, this is after they've been killed and, I think, also cooked. Another way to put it is that it's a story wrapped in another story that's wrapped in yet another story. Follow me? So we talked about the chicken. That's Margaret's story. Now let's talk about the duck. Right before Margaret makes her unexpected appearance, a man named Jairus, who is a local leader, a leader at the local synagogue, um, had come to Jesus and asked him to heal his daughter, who was on the verge of death. So when Margaret shows up, Jesus is, is on his way to go heal his daughter, right? Um, but so she's not only a reject compromising everyone's purity, she's also threatening the life of someone who is pure, a 12-year-old girl, which is not a coincidence that they're sharing that age, that, that it's a, a girl who is presumably prepubescent, a girl who has only been alive as long as Margaret has been ill. Um, but... Not only the girl, but Jairus himself also, at least by role, is a symbol of purity gatekeeping. Can you imagine how angry he might have become after he realizes that this woman has delayed Jesus, that her distraction has let too much time pass? Can you imagine the deepened disgust and anger that might just be starting to sprout among the crowd? This rejected woman who had the audacity to shove her way through, putting everyone else at risk for rejection, and then going on to steal an innocent girl's blessing. And this is a moment in Scripture where one of Jesus' primary ministry principles are revealed. Because in Caesar's economy, and and maybe in ours, uh, when one person gets something, that automatically means someone else didn't get it. Right? I got the promotion, which means you lost out. You got the scholarship, which means I didn't get the opportunity. Or as Tupac put it, I made a G today, but you made it in a sleazy way. I got to get paid. Well, hey, that's the way it is, right? Well, that might be the way it is, uh, but in this story and to us today, Jesus is saying that that's not the way it has to be. This is the first thing I want to highlight about this story. In a world for, of tit for tat, of this for that, Jesus is once again all about the business of yes and. Because he hears the reports about Jairus' daughter and is like, walk with me. They, hear, they head to Jairus' house where his daughter lies and everyone is freaking out and they laugh at him when he tells them that she's just sleeping. He brings her parents and the disciples into her room. He takes her hand as she lies on her bed and says, Talita kum, which basically means, girl, get up. And up she goes. This brings me to my first point. God's way is much more creative, much more expansive and generous. 
Caesar's economy is not God's economy, and our narrow, scarcity-oriented thinking can shrink our imaginations and leave us missing out on our blessing. That's my first point. And this means that God's way invites new avenues for understanding how to be in relationship with ourselves and with one another. We don't have to live in a tit-for-tat, this-for-that mindset. We can exercise creativity and imagination about what it means to share our resources, whether those resources are like God's power at work in our lives, um, that someone else's blessing, someone else's well-being does not mean less blessing for me, that my physical shortcomings mean I can't experience wholeness of life for all, that something new or different or life-changing can't emerge because I am, as perceived by others, less than. And if you need proof, here it is. I recently saw this video of someone giving sign interpretation to a performance by Snoop Dogg that I just had to show. So this video, um, the person had a hard time, like, uh, uh, keeping their their camera on. If you keep watching it, he had they had a hard time keeping their camera on Snoop because they were so captivated. And then there's another person who's up front is just like straight up just uh, videotaping her because it's fascinating to see someone signing, especially um, to a, a concert like that. Right? She has a whole nother dimension to the performance, don't you think? Just because we don't fit the norm, it doesn't prevent God from exercising a creative, expansive, and generous way for us to be with one another. That's my first point. Don't worry, there are only two. Zoom out even more, right? So uh, back to the turducken. Margaret is the chicken. Jairus' daughter is the duck. Now I'm going to cheat a little and say that the turkey is actually two stories. Um, One is the story of a man suffering um, from mental torment and self-harm, which happens just before uh, before the story uh, of our scripture this morning. And this is a really powerful story, but what I want to highlight is that the key aspect of this man's suffering is revealed when Jesus asks the man, um, its name, uh, the Spirit's name, and, a- and it answers legion. And this tells us that the source of the man's torment could be located in government oppression because legion was a reference to Caesar's ongoing military presence, Pax, Pax Romana in the area, military police. This man was so squeezed by policy that it had fractured his mental health and filled him with so much chaos that he started self-harming, bashing his head against rocks and howling all day and all night. Jesus casts the spirit of legion out of the man and restores him to himself so that he can live with inner freedom. His external situation hasn't changed. The policies are still the same. But, but he, he now has deep peace to be able to live his life in whatever space he might find himself. He's been entirely transformed. The other story of the turkey is Jesus' own rejection, which happens after our scripture passage today. And Mark describes the people of his hometown as being repulsed by him when he declares his ministry. Repulsed. These people knew his story and his whole family. Imagine the pain of being the object of repulsion by people who have known you for so long. Maybe some of you do. Each of these stories that I've shared about 
stand on their own, for sure. But they stand where they stand on purpose. On their own, they tell an individual story. You're probably like, why are you telling me so many Bible stories today, right? A story about chronic illness and desperation. A story about mental health and the impacts of governmental oppression. A story about rejection from your own people. Individually, they do stand on their own. But all together, all together, they tell a story about people who are experiencing real pain. People whose bodies and communities have failed and been failed. And this brings me to my second point. God's way does not mean that we get a pass on pain, at least on this side of heaven. This is really, I think, one of the more difficult truths for Christians to swallow. Shouldn't my faith get rid of my pain? All throughout the Gospels, including the passage today, we see Jesus healing people and saying things like, your faith has made you whole. So it's natural to assume that the quality of your faith directly impacts your health and wellness. And in some ways, and sometimes, that's true. If we had only read Margaret's story, that's what we might be inclined to believe. But not in all ways and not at all times because Jesus gets rejected by his family and they don't welcome him back. You want to look for someone who's full of faith, maybe, you know, he's the, he's the, he's the OG, right? Like, and, and he didn't get it. So, you know, not in all ways and not at all times. That's why I wanted to show you the sort of the whole turducken, right? So as I said today, we're talking about this question, what happens when our bodies fail us? When they aren't doing or being or looking like them, we, want, we need or want them to do, be, or look like. Whether it is genetically inherited realities like a proclivity for depression or cancer, whether it is sociological afflictions like notions of beauty or corporate pressured hairstyles, whether it's structural barriers that prevent access to adequate health care or health education and more, whether it is any or all of these things or something else altogether that combine to shape our physical realities, we are reminded today of two things. God's way is more expansive and creative, and faith doesn't give us a pass on pain. We live in a world where things break. Hearts, minds, bodies. But we also live in a world where brokenness is not only seen, but felt by a God, a disabled God, as the theologian Nancy Island put it. A God who, in the form of Jesus, had his hands and feet broken and went on to be a savior of the world. A God who, in the form of Jesus, appeared to his friends with his wounds still fresh, a piercing in his sides and injuries in his hands for all to see and touch. Our God is no stranger to pain in this world, physical, spiritual, or emotional. And so here is what our God grants us. As, God, as Jesus granted Margaret and Jairus and the demon-possessed man, but somehow he did not get himself, so we are granted access to those same basic restorations, inner peace, renewed purpose, and a loving people to which we can belong. Peace, purpose, and a people. This is what God offers us when our bodies fail. We don't always get what we want, but we can get what we need. And for that, for that, I say thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks that you give us the things that we need. And that you sit with us in unbearable pain and isolation and maybe not a small amount of humiliation when our bodies fail us. We thank you that you surround us and carry us not just 
in your own self, but in a community of people who surround one another and care for one another. So in those moments when we are well, when we can hold the song, help us to do our part and help us when we need it to take a breath so that others can carry the song forward for us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, she faithful remain be still my soul they pass their heavenly friend through thorny ways leads to a joyful end in you Save 
Stay.